0: Hey, what's up? It's comedian Roy Wood Jr. You're listening to P.F.'s Tape Recorder cassette Device Machine Ribbon.
1: Hello there. I'm BF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian Scott Long.
0: When you're based in really anywhere, but even especially the Midwest, keeps you working... Pretty much every week. And uh, unlike most comics, I have three kids, I have a wife. It's basically like I live this
1: split life. We'll hear more from Scott in just a bit. We have another edition of What Kind of Nonsense Is That? But first, as always, fake news. And now fake news with me. Same-sex marriages could begin in Florida in early January after the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals declined on Wednesday to further stay a lower court ruling that overturned the state's ban on gay weddings. In a related story, Disney reported a sharp increase in reservations for two at its Florida resorts for 2015. Boeing announced Wednesday that it had completed the first test flight using green diesel, which offers the potential for reducing greenhouse gas emissions in aviation. A Boeing 787 of the Eco demonstrator successfully flew with 85% conventional fuel and 15% green diesel, the company said. The green diesel is fuel made from vegetable oils, wasted cooking oil, and waste animal fats, but also from petroleum that is derived from dinosaur snot. A Republican Party planned to formally accuse Representative Chris Van Hollen, Democrat of Maryland, of illegally accepting a pro bono legal service, says Fizzled. The Center for Public Integrity has learned. An MTV reporter showed up on Capitol Hill looking to cover Van Halen is pro bono, believing U2's Bono was going to be named the new lead singer of Van Halen. Legendary Apple CEO Steve Jobs had seven words for a subordinate when he learned that a rival company was about to introduce a program that would let music fans buy songs anywhere and then play them on Apple's iPod devices. We may need to change things here, Jobs said in a terse 2005 email that was shown to jurors in a federal court Tuesday on the opening day of a trial in a billion-dollar antitrust lawsuit. It is unclear how the trial is going so far, but Luca Brasi is set to testify next. The University of Texas at Austin is missing about 100 brains, about half of the specimens the university had in a collection of brains preserved in jars of formaldehyde. The mystery was later solved when it was revealed that the brains were accidentally disposed of by cleaning workers. Uh, No word on the fate of the 538 missing brains from Congress. Starbucks is giving a few lucky people coffee for life. Ten Americans, three Canadians, and one Brit will win coffee for life as part of a new promotion from the Java giant. A close look at the contest rule shows that the coffee is free for 30 years, at which point Starbucks will kill you. And that's been Fake News with me. Before we get to the dumb bit proper, which is uh, another installment of What Kind of Nonsense Is That?, I need to tell you a quick little funny story. Uh, Last Sunday morning, I was on my laptop, Uh, the the girls were on uh, their phones, and uh, my wife was on her laptop, and I was, of course, checking to make sure that the podcast posted, because usually I get it up at like 7 o'clock in the morning Eastern time or so uh, in the United States. And that's, um, I set it to do that, I try to post it Saturday night, but then it it actually comes up on Sunday morning, It's, it's, it's scheduled to post. And so I'm just checking that, make sure it came on, checking the stats. We're uh, holding steady at about 600 hits a day, which is pretty good. And thank all of you, by the way. If you're not skipping past this just to get to the interview, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Like, as I always say, that's 4,000 more people a week than should be listening. But um, uh, thank you for that. And anyway, uh, so I told that to my wife, said, hey, we're, we're you know, a steady 4,000 a week. We need five to actually make any kind of money on this. So uh, that's why I was updating her on that. And she goes that there's got to be, and she firmly believes there has to be a PF sucks page somewhere or a forum where people are, are downloading the show and then discussing how awful I am. Uh, there's this guy who thinks he's funny and he's really not. So anyway, uh, so, she, so she says, I'm going to check one more time for the PF sucks page. And without missing a beat, little Lizzie says, oh no, mom's going to find my page. So I thought that was very amusing, and uh, Lizzie is coming along just fine in her, in her comedic skills. All right, so uh, now to the, uh, to the main uh, part of the dumb bit, of course. Um, where do I like to go for nonsense? Well, of course, uh, Newsbusters, and of course, I could do a show every day just on Newsbusters, but uh, this one caught my eye because it's something I've uh, covered in the past, and uh, we'll probably cover it a little more in the future. Uh, they headline, Russell Brand is the ultimate hypocrite. It says, watch Russell Brand got completely embarrassed as a hypocrite. Uh, But CBS is standing by his side. Well, what happened is there was a protest in London because it's a neighborhood in East London where I I guess property is being bought up. And this is happening uh, in a lot of places. The uh, public radio program Marketplace actually has a bureau in a part of Los Angeles that's going through the same thing where uh, old properties are being purchased, uh, revamped, and then the rent goes up and people that live there for years and years, it's kind of hard for them to afford the rent and it kind of affects them. And so Russell Brand is part of this protest about property values going up in London. And uh, this reporter from Channel 4, uh, I believe his name is Paul O'Brien, as the uh, protest got to number 10 Downing Street, uh, Mr. O'Brien confronts Russell Brand and uh, asks him about his rent, because Russell Brand is very wealthy, and they're saying that, well, it's people like you, a wealthy comedian, television personality, radio presenter, Russell Brand, who is helping drive up the property values in London and and here's, well here's what he says
2: I mean part of the problem is the super rich buying property in London isn't it how much did you pay for your place? It's rented. But so, but like, that, uh, was it? yeah. But like, uh, no, well, well, no. What kind of rent you paying? Oh, well, I'm not interested in talking to you about my rent, mate. I'm here to. I'm here to support a very, very important campaign. And you, as a member of the media, have an important duty to help to represent yeah, these no, people. No, but we we not are. To but it's still it's right. a point, is not it? I mean, the, no, the, the, no. The, 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 point the, no the, the point is this: the demand that the super rich are putting on the London property market. unless I don't know. Unless you're proposing. And no, absolutely not. I would completely deny that. I'd say I'm part of the
1: solution. People coming together to amplify the voices. of ordinary people that's precisely what's needed there's no greater more expensive piece of real estate in london than that one he's pointing people, to number yeah, ten downing street the right there so, i'd say, 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 say your house is nearly uh, well, on well, yeah, well it's rented we don't know the value you'd have to talk
2: to my landlord blessedly i can afford my rent and i'm prepared to stand up for people that can't
1: okay so here's the problem and this is the problem with the channel four reporter and the way it's been reported uh, all around the world is the problem is that if you're rich you can't stand up for people Who are poor Now, the argument isn't, you know, there's a kernel of truth to Mr. O'Brien's contention that the rich are driving up property values in London. But what Russell Brand is saying is everybody should be able to live in London. London's a huge city. It shouldn't just all be for the super wealthy. Now, you could say, well, maybe if Russell Brand really believes this, he shouldn't live in London because even though he says renting, he's still, uh, you know, contributing and driving up property values. If he didn't rent there, demand would go down. You may have a point there, but they're not framing it that way. They're framing it as like, this guy is rich. He needs to shut up. And uh, I don't agree with that, because it's it, like that argument uh, that Stephen Colbert makes about global warming when he says, uh, you know, it, there can't be global warming because it snows where I live, and in other news, uh, world hunger is over because I had lunch today. It's just a, a ridiculous, ridiculous argument. Now, I try to do some research here, even though I'm not really a journalist, you know, I write for, uh, you know, some papers around the country, but I mostly interview comedians and, you know, it's basically called fluff pieces. I don't really do real journalism. But... um. I tried to research this and from what i can tell russell brand actually rents a place in the financial district which is just north of central london and from what i understand and if someone wants to write in and correct me on this please do what i understand is i don't think the financial district was ever a place where working class people lived i think it's always been upper to upper middle class if anything i think it's actually mostly uh financial offices and things and uh, i saw a one website for a Part of the sub neighborhood of the financial district, where they're buying up old warehouses and making them into lofts and things like that. So I guess that would drive. But I don't think anybody ever lived there that was lower to middle class or poor. So he's not really. If you're living in the financial district, you're not really displacing anybody. Where the protest he was part of is displacing people in East London because property's getting bought up there and, and refurbished. And okay. So anyway, it, it's it. it it would be as if somebody had come to Danny Thomas when he was building St. Jude's Hospital. And, and here's a, a little bit about Danny Thomas.
2: A comedian's laughter is spiced with tears as Danny Thomas realizes the dream of a lifetime. St. Jude's Hospital is dedicated in Memphis, Tennessee. And a promise that the entertainer made when he was broke and penniless is fulfilled. St. Jude's is a hospital dedicated to the major diseases that strike children. And the first project is a crash program into the mysteries of leukemia.
1: So that's from a newsreel in 1962. I know they still had those in 62. I thought we'd moved on to television by then. But uh, that's about the founding of St. Jude's Hospital there in Memphis, Tennessee. And part of the mission statement is that no child is denied treatment based on race, religion, or family's ability to pay. Now, it's a shame Paul O'Brien wasn't there from Channel 4 to say to Danny Thomas, Hey, look, your daughter's healthy, and she's going to have a hit sitcom in the 70s. You shut up, mister, about childhood diseases. You're part of the problem. Ridiculous. Alright, it it, it all just makes you say... What kind of nonsense is that? Hey folks, remember this?
2: Dear Joey, getting my hair done. Be back at 3.30. Please go to Lawson's and pick up bread, lunch meat, potato salad, and pop. And if you want... Or this? We have fresh ideas at Red Barn, like a salad bar for you. This is the third time my husband went back to the salad
1: bar. Or how about this? Well, Home Shirts has all of your vintage apparel needs, recalling all the great brands and restaurants of yesteryear, particularly from the cities of Cincinnati, Cleveland, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, but also from brands around the country. Just head to homeshirts.com and check out all of our vintage apparel needs, including restaurants, stores, great sports teams. Check it out, and when you order specifically from Home Shirts Cleveland, we make a couple of bucks, and we really appreciate it. marry unique fashions for guys and gals. And don't forget to check out our collection of defunct teams from such leagues as the American Basketball Association, the World Hockey Association, the World Football League, and many more at homeshirts.com. Scott Long is a comedian from Indianapolis, Indiana. You may have seen him on Fox Sports, ESPN, NBC, or heard him on the Bob and Tom Show doing sports-related comedy and other kinds of comedy, of course. He tours all around the country, though, headlining clubs and theaters. Here now is our interview with Scott Long. Okay, joining us on P.F. Tape Recorders, comedian Scott Long. Scott, how you doing? I am great. How could I not be? (laughs) There you go. Well, uh, golly, you know, I I gotta say, I I don't know much about you because... um, I actually live in Cincinnati. I don't live in Minneapolis, and um, and so like we seem Confusing. to get well, we seem to get a lot of the same guys uh, coming to each city, and some of them overlap, but some of them do not. And uh, you're one of the ones right. that do not. So, <laughs> but um, so where are you from? Well, you... I've
0: played both clubs. I've played okay. both Go Bananas, and I've played uh, the Funny Bone before, but um, it's been a while.
1: Okay, okay. So where are you from originally?
0: Well, I don't live that far. Well, I uh, I live in Indianapolis now. So oh. I'm not far away.
1: The I th- I thought that area code looked familiar. My uh, my buddy Jim right. Lugerst is doing comedy up there.
0: Uh, what's his name?
1: Uh, Big Jim Lugers.
0: Oh yes, Jim's
1: a friend of mine. Oh, very good. All right, small. So is,
0: so is Madalano Martin. So are a lot of the uh, guys who will go over to go bananas like uh-huh. that. So um, no, I. Uh, trying to think. I think, uh, well, part of the reason is is it does seem like Go Bananas and the Acme Comedy Club use a lot of the same acts. They do. Um, and I am going to be at the joke joint. Yes. So, yeah. So that's probably part of it. Um, it's kind of weird. I'm kind of this, I think, weird mix of stand-up comic because... I can play in alt rooms, but then I can play, you know, more your uh, beer in a shot crowd. Maybe, oh, okay. If you want to call it that? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, versatility, when you're based in really anywhere, but even especially the Midwest, uh, keeps you working pretty much every week. And uh, unlike most comics, uh, I have three kids. I have a wife. It's basically like I live this split life where, um, and I never could have imagined it. I mean, I start out, you know, I wanted to be Bill Hicks or I wanted to be Carlin. That was the reason I got into comedy. I've always kind of had an edgy act, but, um, you know, as time came by as somebody who didn't want to even have a child, my wife talked us into it, <laughs> huh. and uh I kind of talk about it in my show. It's kind of like um, I went from this hipster to almost a dipster, you know, I'm like yeah. in the uh uh you know you know I, I was very focused on you know when I wasn't doing stand up, I'd go out and see um concerts and you know I'd go see the replacements and
3: oh, cool. you know the
0: pixies and all that stuff there when you I go, first started out. And now I still listen to that kind of stuff, you know. And uh, but I'm in a minivan, listening to the Hold Steady. You know what's going on with my head? Huh. It's just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's just uh, a weird world that I live in. But um, you know, I've been in the business for over twenty years.
1: Wow. So that's about as long. Yeah. As, that's strange. That's about as long as I've known Big Jim Luger's
0: that's even stranger. Yeah. Anyone could know Jim that Uh, long. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) No, uh, one thing I mean, like I've played pretty much every improv and pretty much every funny bone, but, um, had opportunities to, you know, go to LA or New York. And I grew up in the Midwest and I just never had a great desire to move to New York or LA. And by the time, the opportunities were really kind of offering themselves to me. Uh, I was in a situation where um, it just financially didn't make any sense. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't move my my wife and my very young daughter at the time all the way out to LA or New York and try to, you know, find some you know crappy two bedroom apartment when we have a nice house. You know, it's just yeah. this kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm like, you know, my, my neighbors are all like people that work for banks or people that work in pharmaceutical companies or there's a, a lawyer and me, I'm the stand-up comic. I'm the only one who voted for Obama. <laughs> so on this weird, weird thing, that what I discovered was early on, um, when they found out I voted for him, they just couldn't believe it. I mean, how? No. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and they all kind of, you know, and they're nice people. You know, look, um, they're, they all, the guys like to talk in the garage. That's the kind of their deal. Well, when they found out um, I voted for Obama, it was almost like um, they would look first before they'd start talking politics all of a sudden, <laughs> look around like I was the black guy and they're about to tell a racist joke, <laughs> you know. So <laughs> that's the... Uh, the strange dichotomy of my life. But, um, you know, I never wanted to preach to the uh, converted anyway.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's tough, it's tough. Although I I still end up getting uh, in these fights on Facebook anyway, despite myself.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess, uh, you know, it's... I try to describe this in a little bit in my show, that um, I'm, I'm very, like... As like I said, I'm kind of an edgy person. I always had a chip on my shoulder, and I think it's been good for me because it's kind of driven me. But uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is on the autism spectrum, and uh, you know, I'm somebody. I'm I'm agnostic,
3: mm-hmm. and
0: uh, there was no way I was ever going to feel any kind of Buddhism in my soul. Yeah, you know, where I could calm myself and put things in perspective and my daughter's challenges have helped me do that i mean i'm still you know it's kind of an amazing thing and uh you know i was your typical narcissistic comic who um you know was always ready and down for a flame war and uh either on stage or off and uh you know i've Kind of coming to myself, I'm getting a lot better about that, but it it took a long time and it really kind of took my daughter's uh, um, the the challenges that she has to help me really put things into a maybe bigger um, you know focus and 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 understand. You know, what am I trying to do here? But, you know, it's a weird thing because besides doing stand up uh, for the past 11 years, I've written Frank Caliendo's uh, football sketches for the NFL and Fox oh. or, and for ESPN. And most of, especially at Fox, it was basically just writing roast jokes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, either about NFL players or about the guys on the set. And, uh, like, I wrote for Frank when he did the. Uh, um, uh, the uh, correspondence dinner uh, a few years back when Bush was president and Cheney was there and Rumsfeld was there and, and all the big hitters and you know so I've done that and I'm good at it but my show kind of evolved into I was never personal about myself on stage it was all you know I don't know I wrote a lot of jokes that were I'm, I'm no David Tell, and, you know, I think he's brilliant. But, you know, that was more the kind of jokes I would write. And uh, now I'm more of a storyteller, and I'm more of a, somebody who really gets kind of raw and personal in my show. So um, I'm proud of that part. Um, you know, it was built out of a one-man show that I did at some French festivals, and I kind of brought it to the stage. So, um I don't want to ramble too long, but uh, and I guess I'm probably not sounding very funny right now, <laughs> but trust uh, well, me, I, I, I am somehow.
1: Well, were you always funny growing up, or were you a comedy fan growing up, or how did that all come together? Yeah,
0: both. Um, my dad, as the joke goes, um, was really mentally and physically abusive. First off, there's a big shock: comedian who had an abusive father. Um, as I explained to me, was so abusive that if I was female, I would have become a stripper, but, um, my only option was to find a job where I'd work on stage under the hot lights, like a stripper, but, you know, <laughs> find some other way to get paid. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I don't know if I was funny when I was six, but by the time I was 12 or 13 and being around a really, um, uh, very stressful life. Um, It just kind of manifested itself into laughter. And uh, yeah, I loved comedy from, you know, I can remember the first thing I ever bought from my paper route money when I was 11 years old was a uh, Richard Pryor album. And uh, the year before that I had my, my, I had asked for Christmas, the Steve Martin albums. So, yeah, they they all came from there. But George Carlin was the guy that the first time I saw him on stage, like on HBO or something, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy, he's speaking like I wish I could speak, and I still feel that way. But um, it was really different for me. To see somebody that had such a subversive point of view, but could be so funny and brilliant, too. And you have to recall, this was way before there was a John Stewart on TV every night. Really, it was, there was Johnny Carson, and that was about it. There, and there was nobody like George Carlin then. You know, People think, oh, well, there had to be a lot of George Carlins running around. They were all like Lenny Bruce or something. There wasn't. And uh, so uh, he really connected with me. And at the same time, I wanted to be a journalism major. I mean, I was a journalism major. I wanted to be a, a columnist for a newspaper or, or host my own radio show. And so I didn't ever think about doing comedy until uh, I struck out trying to do what you're doing.
1: <laughs> which, <laughs> and, uh, which down here in AAA isn't, but, that, isn't that glamorous. But
0: <laughs> I, Look, I, I definitely know that and um actually as a stand-up comedian i call myself a a superstar of triple a because um look i don't headline you know the improvs i headline every week you know i went through my days of doing an off night at the improv or off night at the funny bone and then featuring the rest of the week and um it, it was great but I you, you really have to be a big draw to play those clubs, and I totally get that. Yeah, and uh, eventually, just got to the point where I'm like, look, I'm headlining. I can headline every week, but it's going to be, it's not going to be in the A rooms. And I and I, you have to kind of make a, um, you have to kind of make a decision, and go, okay, are you okay with that? Do you, do you You know, can you? Is is it a problem for you to play Des Moines and Toledo, and you know, and intersperse that with the Indianapolises and the Minneapolises and the St. Louises and the Chicagos? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, truthfully, it's the audiences aren't that much different. There are very few clubs where the audiences are any different. Um, I think Acme is is different. I think. the comedy attic in Bloomington, Indiana is different because the owners have cultivated a, uh, um, a, a different kind of stylistic comedy for the most part. And, uh, but most of the other clubs, they could be an improv, they could be, you know, just, uh, a two night, you know, club in, uh, you know, Lansing, Michigan, they're the same audiences, yeah, you but, know. You, but, can, you can try to pretend that they're not, but the you know, early show is going to be older people, the late show's going to be younger people, and uh, that's one of the great challenges of comedy is, is that you got to try to stay relevant with both groups.
1: Yeah, but at the same time, you know, people in Des Moines and Erie and Toledo and all those places, they deserve a good comedy sure. show, too. Maybe they can't drive to Cleveland or, you know, Columbus right. or Detroit or Chicago. right.
0: So. Yeah, and I mean, it really, it just look. It, uh, Minneapolis is a great example. Um, Acme's a great club, and they've had a lot of success, and that guy really knows what he's doing. But that that city needed a joke joint comedy club for a long time. They needed another comedy club that wasn't quite so esoteric and a little more uh, comics that would never use the word esoteric
3: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> on stage. And so I guess I'm maybe not proving myself right, but I probably wouldn't say that on stage. It's not like the crowds I think are dumber. They just like a more, uh, I don't know. I think a little less high concept comedy, maybe is a better way to describe it. Yeah. You know? Um, and so uh, that's just what happens. And, uh, I can only talk about what—not only obviously what makes me laugh, but also um, I've really discovered from bringing my own personal life into things—it's um, reaching people on a few different levels because I kind of, you know, get into some issues about how people treat people with disabilities and things. But you know, like, wow, that sounds heavy. But. um, I'm really kind of, at the same time, very irreverent about life in general. So it's, it's kind of a weird mix, and I feel like I've never been better at stand-up comedy because of the truth that I'm, for the most part, bringing to the stage.
1: And uh, you're doing a lot of corporate work now, too, right?
0: I wish I could do more. <laughs> I, I, what I ran into was, is, uh, my show used to be really dirty, okay, and I always had a corporate act but dirty, not like, um, there was a, you know, it was thoughtful, I think, but you know, I had plenty of sex jokes and I still have my share, but it's, it's, it's smaller. But what happened was I had lots of video up on YouTube of these old, older sets, you know, they might be a decade old. Uh, okay. And what well, what happened is, is a corporate client might be like, oh, it's, I like this video of this guy. Like, and then they see this other thing, and I'm talking about oral sex or, you know, or golden showers or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, my God, we we can't use this. This guy, you know, he, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. But, <laughs> you know, you yeah. know, after... It's almost like going to prison
1: after they've (laughs) seen it. Once you're an ex-con, You've got a
0: record. Yeah, Yeah, I've I've got a record already. So (laughs) um, I've worked hard to try to pull that off, and I don't really put up the edgier stuff, but all they have to do is pick up my CD that just came out in December, and um, they'll hear, that's a comedy club set. And I've always felt that in a comedy club, like – if you can be Brian Regan, great. That's awesome. If you can be Jim Gaffigan, wonderful. Um, if you can be like my friend Tommy John again,
3: oh yeah, amazing.
0: That's great. Friend of the show. Very, you know, clean comics. Um, I took Tommy on his first road trip. I I never let him forget that. Huh. <laughs> but but what I try to say is is, I guess my point of view is is that I've always felt the edgier comic, the comic who gets into material you can't hear on TV um, unless it's you know, you know, pay cable. I think that's what a comedy club's for. Well, yeah. I, I don't feel like people should want to stay, I mean, to come out to see comedy that they could see. On The Tonight Show, unless they're really brilliant at it, like the three people that I named off, for example. Uh, so, it's it's kind of like a deal where, just like my life, is kind of two lives. Uh, you know, this uh, guy who, you know, tells jokes to drunk people, and uh, at a night, and then uh, this other guy that three or four days a week is uh, getting up early and putting his kids on the bus and you know, is Mowing His Yard in the Suburbs. I mean, I can't believe I'm living this life myself. Uh, But uh, I'm really proud of the CD, and uh, it came out on um, Rooftop Records. Okay. And they did a really nice job with it. And And, the the title uh, of it is? uh, What's that?
1: The title of it is?
0: Oh, it's... uh, Scott and Scott Long, good dad, not a great dad.
1: Okay, and
3: it's
0: got a picture of me holding my twins, who are five in the picture, while I'm reading Fifty Shades of Grey to them. Huh. It's uh, it's uh, the it really turned out well. The cover and cool. the thing I'm I'm really most happy about is the reviews have been great. I've sold a lot of copies. Um, kind of the big uh, reviewer online. Um, what is a, is a website called under the gun and they refu- reviewed like 52 CDs last year and uh they rated mine an A and said the reviewer said um she thought it was probably the most the the CD the uh CD that will probably stay with her the most of any that she reviewed all last year now look I know that doesn't sound very uh, modest on my part, but it's not like I've got a PR agent that can get on the phone and say this to you.
3: Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
0: exactly. So, uh, I, look it up. I'm not saying anything. I, I didn't review it. It's some woman I never even met from Boston who did it. And so um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really proud of being from flyover country and, uh, you know, hanging in there and uh, working every week and uh you know performing all over the country but still keeping a base right in the middle of America I mean um look I never wanted to be a TV star um I re- I've written for TV for a long time but ultimately I just really wanted to do stand up from the first time I did it I'm like well this is what I want to do and um I I really didn't want to chase some kind of dream of, you know, being a sitcom star or anything. I just feel like if they can make a sitcom of your life, to me that kind of speaks to it's not a very um, it's not a very interesting life or at least a life that has the kind of depth that I feel like you're going to get from a live show.
1: Indeed. Well, it sounds like things are going in the right direction for you though, sir. So you're still you're still living the dream.
0: <laughs> well, I'm battling the dream all the time. But yeah, I'm
1: yeah.
0: on some levels I do. I always try to remind myself. I'm like, wow, there's so many probably a lot of people listening to your podcast. They're like you dozens. Know, I want that guy's <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want, you know, I I need, you know, and I've always been tried to always be very good about helping younger comics and and uh, I always put that out there if you follow me on Twitter, which is uh, Scott comedy or you follow me on Facebook, mess you know follow me, message me, you know go to my website. Any way you can get a hold of me if you have questions, I always try to answer them um, because I always felt like comics were almost like magicians where they didn't want to share any secrets mm-hmm. and uh, look, There are some tricks that we all comedians use, but overall, it's not like we're really doing the same magic tricks. There's just, uh, you know, uh, it's really a personal thing.
1: Yep. Okay, man, well, we'll link to all the the, the appropriate links for your website and Twitter and all that fun stuff, and hopefully we'll get you down here in Cincinnati again sometime soon, or maybe I'll be up in Indy sometime or somewhere where you're at.
0: Yeah, one way or the other, and I'm trying to break Dave Stroop down again at the... But thanks. Great for talking to you. And, yeah, yeah thanks, get man. back with me about the podcast or the uh, you know the city pages or whatever. We'll
1: do and say hi to Big Jim Luger's for me, man. I definitely will. Thanks, bro. All right, thanks, Scott. Bye. Bye. Thanks again to Scott Long for being on the show. I'm not sure you could tell if that was recorded back in July. And uh, I had it laying there on my desktop and uh, just never got around to putting it out. And uh, it kind of got lost in the shuffle. But uh, great chat with Scott Long of Indianapolis. And for all things Scott Long, you can go to scottlong.wordpress.com and read his comedy Flyover Country. Blog. All right. So uh, the usual credits, of course, uh, like the podcast on Facebook. Follow me on Twitter at PF66, PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble. And it's the original music, of course, uh, composed and performed by John Baropoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. All right. Uh, and then just wrapping up things here, of course, uh, be sure to go to Homeshirts and uh, Homeshirts.com and get all of your vintage apparel needs for the cities of Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, uh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, and St. Louis, or if you, you know, just live somewhere else in the country or around the world, and think it'd be neat to have some vintage stuff from a city in America. Uh, go go for it. And we also have some uh, national brands on there as well, like National Record Mart and some other defunct brands that had stores uh, in places other than the cities that we cover. All right, And remember, when you buy from the Cleveland site, for the most part, you are helping support the show because most of those designs are uh, were ours and uh, we get a couple of bucks for that. Uh, if you buy the Tube shirt over on the Pittsburgh site, that was our idea so we get a couple of bucks for that. So you see how that works. And then, of course, uh, most of the defunct uh, sports leagues shirts also, uh, help support this program. So, uh, if you're if thinking, you know, what shirt should I buy, lean towards those, but there's all kinds of cool stuff I'm sure you'll dig. And uh, I guess that is going to do it. Oh, one last bit of news our unofficial house band, Andy Hawk, and wreck Endings, are now on Pandora. Yeah! And I guess, I'm not sure here, I can't quite figure this out. I don't know if it's just their uh, last album, which was Live in the Library, which was recorded in the library of the high school where Andy teaches. Uh, or if it's all of their stuff, I believe right now it's just the, uh, the latest album. Uh, but you can go over there, type in train wreck ending, uh, Andy Hawk and Trainwreck Endings, and you'll get all kinds of Americana coming through your Pandora. And uh, to celebrate, let's uh, w- go uh, out with what I, I have to say, one of my favorite songs of the year. And this is uh, Andy Hawk and Trainwreck Endings. I, I take the the out because it sounds cooler. Andy Hawk and Trainwreck Endings is actually Andy Hawk and the Trainwreck Endings with Chasing the Sun. So long, and thanks for listening.
2: There for hours at a time, light on the water as my guide. Remembering something I forgot, left the dock and had to smile. Chasing the sun, feeling I should go back.